0: Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Following the Welsh Parliament refusing to provide legislative consent to the UK Government's Internal Market Bill, which now sits awaiting royal consent after clearing ping-pong in the UK Parliament, we tonight host a debate amongst various members of the Welsh Labour Party about what the party's constitutional response to the IMB should be. With us this evening we have Mick Anthony, Member of the Senate at Ponce and Chair of the Welsh Parliament's Legislation, Justice and Constitution Committee. Hi Mick. Hi there. Good to see you. Thank you very much for coming on. We've got Harriet Prothero-Soltani, who's a trade unionist and vice chair of Momentum. Hello, Harriet.
1: Hi, Matt.
0: Oh, we have Ben Gwagmai, co-founder of Labour for Independent Wales and candidate for the Welsh Parliament's Mid and West Wales seat for Labour. Hello, Ben.
2: Hello, nice there.
0: Thanks for coming. So the Internal Market Bill has just passed, and uh, I think we've all got very strong views on that, and I'm sure we'll get into them. But what do we think Welsh Labour's constitutional response should be to the Internal Market Bill? Harriet, do you want to start?
1: Kind of thought about this in two ways. I've thought the kind of immediate response, and then the more longer term response from the Welsh Labour Party. And just to open this up for a bit of context, we should all note that Nicola Sturgeon has called this uh, bill an abomination almost on every level. So, and we can see similar comments from Jeremy Miles as well, who has put in that legal challenge very recently. And I think to be very, very frank, Welsh Labour needs to go on the attack. I think we need all ministers in unison to launch a coordinated campaign against the Westminster government to take up as much press as they can and really shine a light on how Westminster is treating the Welsh Parliament and Welsh parliamentarians. I think Welsh Labour needs to show some strong leadership on this, otherwise we may as well pack up and go home. What's the point of devolution if devolution can't defend itself? So I think also in the context of all of the people that have recently joined Yes, Cymru. There are a huge voter base that Welsh Labour could speak to here on this issue. And time and time again, I've said that Labour needs to address this head on and start talking about the national question in broader terms of independence or not, etc. So I think this is where we need to go in the immediate term. I'll let someone else come in. I've got much bigger plans for the longer term, but go on.
3: (laughs) Nick, what do you think? What
0: should be the response of Welsh Labour?
3: Uh, well, firstly, I mean, we, we should response should be what we've been saying from the Senate and from the Welsh government, and indeed on a cross-party basis almost, certainly from Plaid and from Labour and from uh, one or two Conservatives as well, is that firstly, it is a power grab. It undermines democracy, and also it is an exponent of the lack of trust that you can actually have in the, the type of government that Boris Johnson is leading. So that's, that's the crux of it. Firstly, it, 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 it emphasises the breakdown of trust, which is fundamental to the the relationships between the four nations. But what it also does is is expose, really, the dysfunctionality of the constitutional arrangement we have, and the fact that I think there is a political power struggle going on. I think you have a right-wing conservative government whose objective at the moment is to recalibrate devolution, to re-centralise power. So I think this is deliberate. You know, the government, they they say it is economic. Uh, It is not economic. This is a power grab. It is a reassertion of power and it is based on a growing concept of a British uh, nationalism. Now what we need a response to on that is what we, we need to kick off this Constitutional Convention that we're interested in. I see Keir Starmer has said that uh, there is now going to, to be one, we need the detail of that, but that has got to drive forward a whole new ideological analysis of what the purpose of the UK is, if there is uh, a purpose to the UK. That is, that is the question. Uh, we know the events in Scotland taking place and that course may catalyse events more quickly than we actually expect after the elections in May. But we need to have an ideological socialist response to those events. I think we have most of the groundwork is actually there. We now need to put it within a political framework.
2: That's all great. I agree with all of that, Uh, so long as we keep all options in mind and don't fall back on 200-year ideas about federalism. I would say that it's fantastic to see the Council General's response, which has, you know, yesterday said, if you put this through for royal assent then essentially the Welsh government will be taking you, UK government to court. And that's, that's a great first response. But from there, I think the Welsh Labour Party as the party of government. Not only needs to have an agreement across parties, not just with the SNP as the Scottish government, they need to be working with all the governments apart from the UK government of the UK. And they need to be considering the kind of things that Clive Lewis has already talked about. Uh, and that's complete structural reform for the UK as a whole. That's including England and more. I've been saying, as the co-founder of Labour for New Wales for the past four years, get ahead of this stuff. We saw it back in June of last year when uh, Carwin and Mark uh, were talking about um, you know, the constitutional graffiti of uh, the UK Parliament becoming sovereign in, uh, in law and on statute. Uh, And then that actually went through and officially UK Parliament is sovereign and nothing else is, even though both Carwin and Mark believe that sovereignty should be, if not is, shared. But if it's not on statute, and this is what we're discovering more and more with the UK government, if it's not on statute, they will go around it or they'll bulldoze it. So we have to get everything we can through the Supreme Court, in agreement with other governments, across party, and we have to change what's on statute to make it a lasting change. And that can be our position as a party. Reform, reform, reform.
0: So you talked about reform. A lot of people say that that needs structure. A lot of people have talked about confederalism. Carwin's talked about confederalism. Others in the party talked federalism. Others in the party have talked independence. How do you get to those things? What would allow you to achieve that change, Ben?
2: So if we talk about the sort of official processes that I can see as routes toward confederalism uh, or or opening up that reform question and not again simply falling back on the same thing that David Lloyd George talked about in federalism, um, obviously it can come from grassroots, it can come from CLPs. Part of the progress of Labour Friendly Wales is to, in the next year, literally next year, is to start a proper campaign of debates and discussion, much like the previous OMOV campaign. Now, obviously OMOV uh, came to Camry kind of in, the, in a similar vein, because uh, it was passed in the English Labour or UK Labour Party first. But it can happen in reverse, it has happened with other things in reverse, and the right campaign could do it the campaign is an excellent first step to raise that awareness and also encourage uh discussion through uh other movements like yes company like harriet said i think that for us in labor for new wales the campaign is the first step but then so much of it is involving big voices like nick and it's amazing to have him uh chatting about this now and others uh, in time and then seeing where it goes obviously we're a democratic party no one's going to be uh forcing any other opinion on anyone. But in time, I personally think there will be momentous things happening over the next few years, like Scottish independence, like a change in leadership in the Welsh Labour Party, and that could bring with it its own difference. So I think there are so many opportunities to that change within Welsh Labour that I hope very much that UK Labour are open to them as well.
1: well it's nice to see uh, Ben putting his leadership bid down early. <laughs> He's not even elected yet. <laughs> I think in terms of answering your question of how we need to get there, I think that the Welsh Labour Party needs to be on the front foot with this and I think we need to start openly seeing members of the Welsh Parliament saying that they're in favour of independence because there are members that we know who are that have been very silent on it and very scared to open up this discussion. So my question to those Assembly members has always been, what, what are you scared of? Are you scared of being <laughs> told off internally by the party for representing the, the interests of the nation? Or are you scared of losing well, vote?
3: Let's, let's, let, let listen, let's, let's come into this and let's get this back down to uh, the, the politics of what it's about. Uh, the first thing is, there's a real problem with the nationalist arguments that's being put, because at the moment it's being presented as uh, independence is the solution to just about everything. It reminds me, you know, of the old Lib Dem penny on income tax. You know, it appeared on everything, well, we can pay for this, provided we have the 1p one p increase on income tax, and then it would appear somewhere else and so on. And we have to get away from the sort of simplistic view that the idea is independence, whatever that means within a global capitalist uh, world, etc. needs to actually start being defined as to what is, what is being talked about as opposed to being a reactive thing to uh, I don't like Boris Johnson, I don't like this right-wing Tory government etc therefore the way out of it is etc. So there's a, there's a bigger question that but can I say that the politics of this is this. What do we want a constitutional convention to be considering? For me, this isn't about creating national blocs, whether it's an English bloc, a Scottish bloc, a Welsh bloc, or whatever. It's about the decentralisation of power. For socialist devolution has always been about the decentralisation of power. And we're not just looking about creating an English parliament, a Welsh parliament, a Scottish parliament. It's got to be more than that. It's got to look at the handing power down as close as possible to communities. It is about the empowerment of communities Uh, and that's where I actually separate myself from the sort of perhaps the, the the harder lines of some of the nationalist movements which actually see it as sort of nation above all I don't I see this about empowerment of people and I see it very much from a class position as well so I think the ideology of what a constitutional convention which is going to happen let's make no mistake that constitutional convention on a UK wide basis is the most significant step to take take place in terms of constitutional reform.
1: You and I both socialists in the party both have very similar aims and similar goals and I would agree it's about devolving power down to the lowest level that we can in empowering individuals and their communities. We, as a British left, have tried to get a socialist government in Westminster. Year on year, the most radical government that we just tried to have got roundly rejected by nearly every part of the formalised state, including the British media. So if you can show me a route to socialism through the British state, then I'm more than happy to come on that with you. But we've tried and we failed time and time again. So I think we do need to look at the politics of rupture here and how rupturing a British state and the establishments that come with it that oppress socialist voices and socialist values could be a route towards socialism.
3: Well, I don't think socialism comes through state powers. I actually think it comes through the empowerment of people. And I think that is the actual core definition of what socialism is actually about. And for me, what the ultimate objective of the Labour Party is. And I think we mustn't also delude ourselves. The concept of independent will somehow result in some sort of left... I mean, I think there is so much mythology uh, that suddenly there would be this utopian sort of uh, socialist uh, government would appear. You know, let's face it, one of the strongest growing political parties in wales at the moment is actually the conservative party if we want to look at the situation of politics in the working class at the moment look at the brexit vote as well so we mustn't you know we have we have a certain romanticized mythology about what politics is in wales and what it would lead to so just having a different separate parliament with independence precisely whatever that meant, etc., cetera, is, is a, a far more complex political question. I think we have to start from fundamental principles as to what we think the UK should be, what the power base, what its purpose should be, uh, and where Wales would fit within that if that's what it chose to do. And that seems to be the question, what Wales, the people of Wales, ultimately would choose to do if they were given options.
2: All of these questions come down to structures, right? In December, if all of Wales... And all of Scotland had voted unanimously for Labour, England would still have needed to have voted either a majority or close, very very close, within two seats of a majority of Labour for there to be a Labour government in the UK. Mm -hmm. So structurally, if we talk about what the UK is, what it's for, we would hope that we would hope that a state was for fair representation. But the UK does not offer that and it does not want to change. However, we can look at different structures and we can change it. And you know, then we have to ask if we cannot get that through the UK and the structures they're in, because they are being set up by the Conservatives in London, but more than that, they have been for 200 years. They have been set up in, in various unfair ways to the periphery and we're not just talking about Cumbria here we're talking about scotland we're talking about northern ireland we're talking about the north of england if we as harriet says rupture those unfair structures
3: can i, can I ask you what you mean by rupture those structures so take away their political power
2: basically as we have just said earlier okay. the uk government has sovereignty right they they've made themselves in the uk parliament absolutely sovereign they can click away the welsh parliament through various means mm-hmm. should they wish to Within a couple of months, and it could get royal assent because, as if the Queen actually cares, the same could happen to the Scottish Parliament. But again, if the Scottish vote for independence, that's another rupture, and that completely causes a structural cascade that we have to address. And this is why, for so long, I've said, let's get ahead of
3: it. You have to address it, but what does it actually achieve? I mean, I just, I, I, I what I, what I struggle with uh, is the where the people fit within this, because if you take the Welsh government's position at the moment, which is basically a a form of federalist reform based on a voluntary union of nations, that is as much independence as any other version of independence, because it's based on the concept of what the people of Wales actually want. Now, the difficulty I have is the belief that somehow you have to smash up the UK union rather than to reform it. Now, if if you don't believe it is capable of reform, then that obviously leaves you... The only, uh, only that particular option. But if you believe there is the possibility of reform, that there is a possibility of a Labour government or a majority in Westminster to accept uh, re- uh, constitutional reform, then the question is will people be better off by going down the road of constitutional reform uh, as opposed to what is a fairly uh, de- destructive breakup within which probably the most vulnerable people in our society will, will suffer the most?
1: Well, that's an assumption, Mick. You don't know that. So. Well, let
3: me, let me let tell me you why. why. Oh, right, I'll tell you in a minute.
1: I think in terms of what the argument you were making previously about um, a mythological socialism that would come from an independent state, I think you're right to point that out. There is a lot of that attitude floating around. It's not one that I personally hold. I think a struggle within the uh, United Kingdom would be very similarly replicated within Wales to try and overthrow a conversation about neoliberal politics and capitalism more broadly. But I think by having those conversations and by having the opportunity to have those conversations around what type of a nation we want to live in, what does our nation look like? Who does the economy work for? Mm. Whose interests does the economy work for? Those radical conversations will inspire many people to start to understand that the British state puts obstacles in the way of those radical policies or reforms. And I'll give you a really good example, right? I've been listening to a podcast today about the spy cops inquiry that's going through Parliament in relation to the spy cops bill. I got interested in it and I was listening to some people give evidence about how the British state ordered undercover um, surveillance into so many vast areas of radical politics in the United Kingdom and actively broke them up. Thousands and thousands of people from the NUM being infiltrated, the environmental movements, etc. This is one example of how the British state tries to take hold of radical energy and disperse it in a conversation where we, in my vision for what we could do when we're asking people about independence is literally get assembly members like yourselves on a bus, traveling around Wales, having conversations in halls, asking people, what type of a country do you want to live in? What type of an economy do you want to live in? How do you want power to be shared? When have we ever had that conversation as part of the British state? Because I certainly can't remember it.
3: For, for some of us, those conversations have been going on for, for, for a long time. The question is what the ideological base of them is. And of course, they have been confined. I I, I think the prob- part of the problem at the moment, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. We, we are moving to a stage where we have to have that debate now at a serious level, we have to have it particularly in England. It is absolutely vital thing because everything ultimately hinges in terms of future relationships and so on, and in terms of economic well-being, prosperity and so on. So we have to have that debate, and we have to have that debate in terms of what we want the structures of government to be. And I'll, I'll say this as well: I, I don't see devolution as being just about creating a totally autonomous uh, parliament in Cardiff Bay eh, in for, for, for Wales. I think I think what we've seen during COVID is the importance of local government, and I think there are other mechanisms of actually devolving power even further down. I think part of the problem is devolution actually stopped when we actually created the uh, Welsh Assemblies and so on. In some ways, in terms of the the process of handing power back back to people and so on but you know the spy cops i mean he's right Seven listen. i remember as a student in the 70 we knew who our special branch officer was we used to wave to him as we went past you know i mean we, we sort of were, we're, we're, were aware of all those sorts of things but they don't take us away from some of the fundamental questions that have got to be answered and in terms of the structure have got to be answered for example within wales i mean within the nationalist question uh, what would be the relationship of between wales uh, and england would you be sharing a currency because if you share a currency you are sharing a considerable level of power and shared sovereignty and you're handing a lot of power over so they're all serious questions we have to answer also the question of we do have a 13 14 billion pound deficit for all its faults and all the inadequacies of the funding formulas that we know exist within the uk uh, we know that if wales were independent tomorrow we would have to find 13 or 14 billion pounds to actually a uh, hole to fill within that if we were in that situation you know the, the only the answer that are oh, yes but we'll, things will get so much better etc isn't really an answer to the most vulnerable so we have to have a mechanism that allows the reform and the transition uh, of Constitu- you know, the constitutional reform take place that is why I think the constitutional convention is going to be so important if it is done properly if it is done right and it is done that allows the really radical ideas to come through which I think need to come through because otherwise there will be a fragment a, you know, a fragmented breakup of the UK. I, I'm convinced that that will happen but I, if, if it happens without constitutional reform within some sort of framework uh, it will be very divisive It'll make Brexit look like a, a, a picnic. Uh, and there will be a lot of people who will suffer badly economically from it. That's why I'm so committed to the concept of a process that allows those changes to play place, which ultimately give the people of Wales a choice. Here, here, here is a new model or new models that you can choose between. And you choose to either go in for that or not to go in for it and so on. And that is where the choice of the people comes important. And that is what would ultimately determine whether the UK has a purpose to existence in the future or not?
2: Those are all really important points and questions. You know, no one wants the people of Wales to get any poorer because, you know, just this year we know that uh, unpaid carers, the numbers have shot up above 650,000 people and the UK Mm. government isn't providing any support for them. However, to go through those points uh, as succinctly as is possible. So, yes, constitutional reform and the consultation is absolutely important unfortunately for us events dear boy events are happening far quicker than any constitutional convention can keep up with for example we know that brexit is going to happen in about three weeks in the worst possible way we know that things are going to get more expensive we know that things are going to slow down and there will be a very different approach to food and the everyday life of people in across the uk across the uk entirely as of next month. It's not even a year away, it's a month away, if that. So, yes, of course I look forward to the Constitutional Convention uh, ran by the UK Labour Party as I did two years ago, as I did two years before that. Every time one's announced, I always look forward to it. When those events stop outpacing those Constitutional Conventions, I'll look forward to actually going to one but I don't hold out as much hope as many others. I would say that the England problem is a big one, yes, but England does not yet want to answer it. It's great to see the Northern Independence Party come up and push that question. And they clearly, with that kind of big change, that kind of uh, rupturing message might make it happen in England, but we cannot hold out hope while people get poorer In Wales to do that and when it comes finally to uh, the Welsh deficit of an independent Wales we have an economy of 75 billion GDP that's incredible and we collect about 30 billion in taxes now the UK government gives us 18 billion and tells us we have a deficit of 15 billion except of course they charge us for all the things that they want so where does that extra money go in an independent wales we would be in charge of our finances and some argue that we need to be in charge of our own currency so we can implement things to alleviate poverty like ubi that westminster was entirely resistant to even with a great letter cross party organized by kevin brennan and beth winter brilliant mps of ours in london organized cross-party, UK government didn't even bother to respond to it in any proper way. I'd love for there to be great change across the UK, but events are coming quicker and we need to be ahead of them.
0: Uh, The question I was going to ask is if anyone has read the uh, Clyde report uh, towards an independent Wales, their version of independence looks an awful lot like uh, what a lot of people in the Labour Party have called confederalism. Do you envisage once this uh, constitutional convention takes place, I'm going to say it will for this purpose, when it does take place, that you could ever envisage a situation where Labour could walk hand in hand with Plaid to get this constitutional change done, if it looks similar to what they desire and and what we eventually
3: pick, Nick? Yeah, listen... uh... If if we can make progress with a constitutional convention, if we can't come up with, firstly, I think it has to be all party. It has to work in all those who want to participate within it. This is not something that can be done sort of with Labour wanting to impose, etc. When you are reforming the structure of the the nations and the societies of the UK, it has to be something that embraces you know all the different communities and processes for the future. Because you want something that is going to be uh, sustainable for fifty to a hundred years, and is capable of reform as as change takes place. So, so just as with achieving devolution, I mean, I was involved in the '79 uh, referendum for devolution, that ill-fated thing, uh, uh, etc. And uh, the, you know, there was there was there was a cross-party. I mean, with the Wales for the Assembly campaign was cross-party. Elliston uh, Morgan, then uh, La- a Labour MP, uh, uh, now retired judge, uh, uh, led it, uh, and there were representations from across the parties. Uh, it, it can happen, it has to happen. The main differences that they exist between say Plaid and Labour over the independence issue are really over a nation, nation-based nation uh, approach as opposed to a class-based uh, approach. Those are the main differences in terms of the objective and that is empowerment and so on. There is an enormous amount of common ground and uh, you know, any, the, whereas we may well be sorting out what our position is as a party on a UK basis, what we think that constitutional reform should take place. The process of constitutional reform has to be something that embraces uh, other political parties as well. Harriet, do you think that
0: the version of independence or confederalism that Plaid and some in Labour talk about are are the same thing and do you think that the visions of Wales that independent supporters within the Labour Party and those implied to support independence are the same or do you think that they're asking slightly different questions of that future future nation
1: look i haven't read this bloody document so i'm not going to pretend i have okay but what i can comment on i had a conversation with my partner about this actually because he's not convinced about independence so we were chatting about uh, he asked some of the questions that mick was asking about you know like what type of a movement is the movement for independence and you've just touched on it there and i tend to think that I can see the people that are joining Yes Cymru in their droves and in great numbers are either disaffected Labour Party Corbynistas or young Plaid Cymru lefties. So I think there is a lot of work that can be done there. Obviously there's going to be a traditional uh, constituency of you know old-fashioned Plaid Cymru uh, soft Tory uh, voters who are going to be in that Uh, coalition, but I imagine there's a lot of work that could be done between left-wing Labour Party members, left-wing Clyde Cymru members to try and come to analysis that does include the full gamut of um, class politics rather than uh, national politics. I think, to be honest, we push an open door if we started to have those conversations. We just don't start to have them because every time someone in the Labour Party brings it up, another member of the Labour Party is like, ah, nationalism, and just shuts the whole thing down. So I am more than willing to have those conversations with those members. And I think it's something that we should be trying to do for certain.
3: I, I don't know what constituency you're you're in because we don't have that problem with those debates. I mean, we've actually had these debates in my constituency. I know they've had them in Cunningham as well, you know. And I think there is a clearly changing uh, uh, nature of the debate that is taking place. The debate is growing, you know. I'm involved already with a with group with a, a group where we're trying to actually develop an alternative policy to either hard. As, you know, We think the choices aren't just between a sort of hardline nationalism and a hardline unionism. Actually, that there is actually. Uh, a a mechanism which is based on decentralization and empowerment now those all those variations of debates actually are really important but they but they are going I can tell you I mean you know when I joined the Labour Party in, what, 70, 74, the politics was extremely difficult. It was actually quite internationalist in a very hard-line way, but the debate has changed because the economy has changed, society has changed. We are now in a global capitalist economy. We are in, a, in an environment where we no longer have those global institutions, whether it be the mines, the steelworks, and institutions that actually created almost the, the structure uh, of the UK state. All those things have gone. Uh, the nature of Technology has changed matters uh, and that's why the nature of politics has to become more diverse. That is why language is so more important because identity has become much more important uh, in, in, the modern, in the modern world, you know, where you have three or four major sort of cultural influences and so on.
0: Ben, you've been involved in, in, yes, Cymru and Labour for a long time. Is there this common ground? Do you think there is a common vision for
2: that? I think there is. I think that obviously the movement being so, uh, the s movement, that is, the independence movement being so vast uh, as it is now, there of course are going to be different points. But um, it's funny that Mick should mention Elistan Morgan. Uh, he it was one of our patrons uh, when we first started Labour for Indie Wales, uh, because he, like Carwin now, recognised that Confederalism has to come through a push for independence, and um, fairer structures only come through clarity, and fairer class-based politics only comes through that. Having read the Plaid document, I actually think it's uh, it's a bit neoliberal, and it, it's not what I would want. But I I know that they're way more radical than that, and they're the sort of younger, the Plaid Ivank, uh, they're as radical as we are. Um, and sometimes we're more radical than them you know i'm an eco-socialist i want a sustainable future the idea that wales should be a nation just to be another independent nation and continue in a neoliberal vein doesn't really ring true from my experience throughout the movement what i can definitely say is that they are internationalist they are inclusive they want everyone in wales no matter where anyone's from to be a part of the independence movement and to establish a fairer. And it's about that. So many times, so many of us agree, it's about fairness. And that is, in many ways, the most simple way you can put class politics. If something isn't fair, then it isn't right. And as it is, while, you know, uh, the Tax Justice Network proved last year that London extracts wealth from its UK peripheries, that isn't fair, that isn't right. And what it does is it takes that wealth from poorer people and it gives it to the richest, just like the Tories have proved in the COVID crisis. They'll take money from the Bank of England and give it to their friends, their rich already friends, and leave many of us poorer people suffering and without. And really, that is, you know, the cross point between the traditional nationalist politics and the class politics that I'm pushing for and you know so many in Labour for New Wales and the independence movement are pushing for it's about creating that fairness and that's where that umbrella really meets in the middle.
3: I think the key I, for me the key challenge is uh, can the UK be reformed? Uh, if it is reformed how would you want it to be reformed and if it is reformed is Wales being better part of it now that depends exactly on what the content of those arguments is one of the objections I have or one of the disagreements I have with the nationalist movement apart from the total usual lack of actually definitions as to what you're actually talking about and there is a real there is a real issue o- uh, over this because I've been involved in arguments where we're talking about things and you have to go back to basics and say well look you you have to define what you're saying first so I know whether when I use this, this description the same thing but one of the things we mustn't forget in all of this because there's a real danger in this it turns into a debate of political parties uh, and political activists uh, uh, and at the end of the day, then loses out and forgets the fact that this is ultimately about the people of Wales people of England people of the uh, of Scotland uh, and so on uh, because if there was a referendum tomorrow uh, on independence and however you defined it leaving those arguments to one side I've no doubt that we'd lose it hands down I've actually no doubt that there is a very substantial majority that want to see a relationship with England as part of a UK the arguments are of course you have to define what that is at the moment that relationship I mean listen the best cheerleaders for the breakup of the UK at the moment are Boris Johnson and I don't think they care that much because they've been sucked into a fairly right wing concept of a British uh, Anglo-centric nationalism etc and that is distraught in itself, and it does make the the independence just talking just talking about this, anything to break away from that makes it very 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 attractive. You know, um, the, you just have to. It's just I think as socialists we have to see far deeper than that in terms of the economics, the, the impact, uh, and what the options are in terms of structural reform and so on, and also empowerment. So it is it is a very complex, but it does take us back to the very crux of this. And that is we have not been having the debate we should have we have got to have a political debate about where we're going to go about these things that can affect us and what the various options are because there aren't only two options i think there may be four or five versions of the same option you know you talk about independence there could be four or five different versions of that but at the end of the day it's got to be a debate that engages people in which people feel that they have some role within it and that is about their future rather than a carve-up of politics by the political parties.
2: I can agree with that entirely and I'd love to uh, add, if you can, I remember Carwin Connects being really popular Mm. Um, I'd, I'd love us in Welsh Labour to be able to take that kind of platform again. I don't see why our leadership cannot lead those debates and conversations around Cymru. Over to you, Harriet.
1: Like, we're all in agreement. We need to debate these issues. My only concern and the only problem that I have, having lived in Scotland in the referendum and now living here in this build-up towards what we're seeing with Yes Cymru, is that the horse has bolted on some of the options, offering a federal UK to scotland you'll just get laughter i mean the labor party is laughter in scotland so the labor party making the constitutional convention recommendation for federalism across the uk like good luck like all all power to you but it's not going to happen um, and i think in terms of a referendum i think mick's right if we had one tomorrow we would lose it But the point is that we have a build up to those referendums and we have conversations across the country and we win people over. Just like in an election, we have a long campaign and a short campaign and we win people over like we had to do in the last election to vote for Jeremy Corbyn and vote for a socialist government, which was very difficult. We'll have to do very similar things across the country if we have an independence referendum. And I saw in Scotland at the beginning um, of when these conversations started happening, uh, yes, Scotland was a bit niche actually. It, it wasn't the mainstream organisation and it was a bit like, oh God, he's, he's got a yes sticker on. But then suddenly every single person for about four years was talking about the different arrangements that an ind- independent Scotland could have. And in terms of like politicisation, it was one of the most impressive politicisations of a group of people I have ever seen. We had teenagers in the um, Glasgow is it the hydro anyway they did a question time for just teenagers school age kids and the questions they were coming up with i was like bloody hell like if we had that discussion in wales i'd like fall out of my chair so even like that process of debate and discussion about the future of the nation i think would do um some great headway towards us uh, politicizing um politicizing people
0: <laughs> How are you, you obviously there during 2014 and uh... We've seen today a poll which shows independent support in Scotland up at 58% and it's one of many that have been sort of around that ballpark. Do you think that the UK Labour Party's position would have to change if Scotland were to leave the UK?
1: Definitely. So I was discussing with some uh, colleagues today actually about this result and how the SNP is gonna gain so much traction next year after seeing everything that's happened under COVID and seeing how, you know, the nations have been boxed out in these discussions. Scottish independence is gonna happen. Even if people declare themselves independent and don't use the constitutional arrangements that they're meant to, like, that is becoming a serious option. That would not be my preferred option, obviously, that's a dangerous option, but, like, these things are going to happen. At which point, of course, Wales is going to need to do some self-reflection, because, as we can see already with the Internal Market Bill, the Tories do not give a um, two hoots about, <laughs> about Wales and Welsh evolution and the voices of people in Wales. So at that point, of course, we'd have to discuss Welsh independence, or discuss a different constitutional arrangement. I think people would definitely go for independence at that point, because they'd be like, screw this, like, <laughs> this is a sinking ship.
0: Nick, uh, what do you think? Do you think that um, if Scotland were to leave, constitutional convention question becomes completely different. How do you have uh, a federal or confederal uk when it's just england wales and maybe northern ireland we don't even know what's going to happen with northern ireland well
3: uh, listen I, I think you have to sort of take the process as to what might happen i, I you know if uh, if the snp uh, have a very clear mandate from that i think uh, people of scotland are entitled to uh, another referendum uh, and there'll be arguments there i think the for me the biggest problem during the 2014 Scottish uh, referendum was when people said you should stay in the UK no one could actually say why you should be in the UK or what the purpose of the UK was. So it was never actually an option. So you had actually quite a polarised debate. Uh, I know from the people I, I talked to with it in Scotland. I, I don't think it is quite as polarised in terms of two absolutely clear. I think there are a lot of people with uh, varying views in terms of what the relationship uh, with England or with Wales or within the UK should be, but will fall one side to the other because that is the nature of that. debate uh, at the moment and I think that is the failure of Labour is that at UK level we haven't I had hoped I was arguing uh, you know several years back this could have been Ed Miliband's really great statesmanship act to say we've got to we've got to sort out this constitutional mess uh, in a way that is democratic that is egalitarian and reforms and gives people real options but it was never seized and in fairness you know as a supporter of Jeremy I think Jeremy didn't grasp uh, that the concept of that as well uh, and I think Harriet your 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 analysis of uh, of potential events is right now uh, what what changes in the dynamic well it it, it changes but of course uh, even with a, a massive mandate and even if there is then a referendum and it does it the actual process of change is still an intensely complex one that leaves enormous questions still to be answered and there's some of the questions I raised earlier for example within Scotland will they retain the pound uh, will they be part of uh, that uh, that that financial structure etc uh, will they you know what will be the trading relationship will they, will it then be a, a free trade agreement and what are the implications of that because all those things actually then require a shared sovereignty i mean this is this is the myth about the the way the toys are using the sovereignty argument you know it's the fact that anyway, it's every every country we engage with every Every deal we do, every convention we sign up to, involves a sharing of sovereignty and that, you know, and I made the point, you know, for example, during the Brexit debate, you know, Britain leaving the the EU, Britain was no less independent as part of it in the EU than leaving it and Wales would be no more or less independent being part of the UK or out of it. The question is uh, whether it has the consent of the people and it's what the people actually want. So, you know, I I think there are still many uh, terms and twists. In the actual issue of constitutional reform, irrespective of it. But what the what the the Scottish result may well do is just catalyse that debate even further and make it an, a necessity, rather than up to now something that can be pushed to one side, particularly from the from the English perspective. And you know, somebody mentioned earlier that you know, well, there isn't a the debating. Well, there is a sort of debate. I actually think what what the divisions that began to occur between the North of England and the South are actually part of that growing diversity and fragmentation that's taken place within England itself. It just hasn't achieved uh, a political format within it and that's why it's such important that uh, there is a constitutional convention so that's why I think it is an important announcement. Scotland leaving changes everything
2: and I think it's unwise to say it doesn't. If Scotland leaves you have unpoliticized people like my neighbours, literally one of whom does not vote but I have had this conversation with him and he's like, I'd register to vote, and I'd register to be an independent supporter. Overnight, unpoliticized people, overnight, would suddenly say, if they're going, well, we're bloody well going too. These are people that don't need uh, the complicated processes of uh, international frameworks and legal wranglings that we all know have to happen. You know, we're talking like all, ras- all voters are rational. They're not. Voters don't, Look at all the options. The rational choice model of voting behavior is outdated. The most recent, obviously, is the valence model, that obviously, if you want to talk political theory and whatnot, but we don't really, because that's just boring. <laughs> but, you know, they might look for competence, they might look for leadership, they might look for identity. What they'll often do is go with their gut. And, you know, this is from... I'm from an area that has never, ever, ever voted on a constituency level for a Labour Party member. It's the only place in Cumbria, it's the only place in Wales that's never had, it's never had a Labour representative. And yet, if I don't bring up Labour, when I talk to anyone about Scottish independence, and then I say, okay, so what happens if they go? Should Wales go too? They go, yeah, of course. And these are from Tories to Greens, to Labour to Plaid, to the Nutters, to whatever. This isn't about, you know, oh, should Labour have the, the, the existential question? Should we wrangle with ourselves? Should Northern England fight with Southern England? It doesn't matter. If Scotland goes, that's it. That's the big domino. It's not even the first domino, by the way. The internal market bill might as well be the first domino. But actually, there were many smaller ones before it. But yeah, once Scotland goes, that's it. That's it. That's the end of the union, as is. No question.
1: I find it so fascinating that no one knows about the internal market bill and no one's really discussing it. Like I've seen like a couple of Scottish podcasts talking about it. I've seen Jeremy obviously talking about it on Twitter, but you'd think this would kick up much more of a stink than it is. I don't know how it's like slipped under the radar. It's baffling me.
3: Well, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I think I spent almost uh, the last, uh, most of the last year talking about the internal market bill and, uh, and writing about it. Uh, I think the problem is, is that with everything that's happening, with the economic pressures on people, with COVID, you know, my constituency flooding and so on, the moment you start talking about intergovernmental relationships, you know, and the constitutional structure of trade agreements and so on, quite frankly, I mean, uh, for, for many people, what they really want to know is, are they gonna have a job? Or are they gonna have a decent living? What's going to COVID going to do to their work? How are they going to manage, and so on? And uh, we can. There's a great danger in so many of these things that we actually engage in a debate that, for many people, is just not interested. Not that you know, I I did a report to the Senate a while back on you know, on constitutional reform, and I said to I opened it by saying this is probably the most boring report you will ever read, one that no one will ever raise with you on the doorstep. But it is one of the most important reports because what happens in terms of our constitutional structures actually affect the lives of people. It is about the the, the mechanism for the sharing of power that affects people's lives. Somehow we have to translate the Internal Market Bill and its implications into what it actually means. It means we cannot potentially introduce certain environmental legislation that we want. It means decisions that we can take on on not spending £2 billion of our money on a 12-mile stretch of motorway, etc., can be overridden and we, we can be charged for that, you know. It, you have to put it in ways in which it actually puts it in the minds of people saying say that the decision that you may make to elect someone to get, get them to do this that they may not now be able to do because of what's happening in London. Do you want that? You know, and I think, that's, I think we, we haven't developed the politics of that debate and brought it to a level that people can actually grasp its attack on their power.
1: This is the point I was trying to make. You might be writing about it Lords, Mick, but uh, it's not translating to people. I apologise, but, uh, you know, you are a politician.
3: <laughs> I, I am writing it for the Senate rather than... For, but. Uh... <laughs> you, no, but you're right. I think I think even if I even if I wasn't, I mean I think trying to get over that boundary of the debate in terms of what impact it will have on people's lives is is really quite 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 fundamental. We may find this same sort of debate with the social partnership bill that the the, the Senate is, uh, the, the Labour government is uh, developing uh, because it will really push I suspect the boundaries of devolution and it will really raise that challenge.
1: Well, this is a key question I've got for you, actually. This isn't really to do with this debate, but now it's come up. Isn't this a flaw of the Welsh Government not being able to convey these things to ordinary folk and then undermining the point for devolution in the first place? If people don't understand the politics of the internal market bill and the social partnership bill, like, isn't that an obstacle to us as a devolved nation if people don't understand the politics of the Senate?
3: Well, listen, it is always an obstacle to understanding the workings of government and I'm not sure, you know, anywhere around the world where there are those great understandings. But you're right, the issue is one of political communication, the issue is one of debate, the issue is one within the Labour Party. I mean, I, I would actually say how many actually members of the Labour Party actually understand really uh, what is happening, even, even amongst activists other than, other than the headlines? Uh, and that's one of the difficulties. One of the great difficulties as well, of course, is the Anglo-centric nature of of media that I, you know, we've had, that we can have major issues happening when we had, you know, what I thought was important legislation on uh, uh, opposing some of the Tory trade union legislation. Uh, I, I went to the media uh, and they were in Wales and they weren't interested. Uh, okay. they, were, they, they were more interested in the fact that someone was having a spat with someone else because that makes that sort of you know a fight on telly between two people rather than something that was actually really quite an important step that was being taken by government in standing up for workers rights you know and uh, that, that, you're right that's the challenge. I, I'm not sure what all the answers are but you're right in terms of we've got to have more of these debates we've got to have uh, people going around uh, engaging in these debates discussing and we've got to have more forums on this. It's one of the things what I hope perhaps a constitutional convention will actually lead to that it will actually trigger that debate and start up those debates a bit like we did have a bit during the devolution thing in 79 uh, leading up to that very very different debate to the one we had in the uh, in the '97 90, uh, devolution uh, proposals as well but you
0: know with this all in mind we've talked a lot about independence but i'm going to ask one question on the far alternative are any of you worried or have any sort of existential concern about the future of devolution in and of itself? We've seen things like this bill that will undoubtedly soon become an act, uh, the Withdrawal Act last year did the same thing with the Sewell Convention, and the rise in numerous political parties who want to abolish the Senate, with the Welsh Conservatives uh, making a nod and wink in that direction too. Are any of you really concerned that abolition as likely, is likely as independence?
3: I don't think abolition is... as is like I think there's a clear majority in terms of, you know, cross-parties in support for the, uh, for the Senate and for devolution. I just think the devolution as a concept itself has now moved into a different realm of, of four-nation government. My bigger concern about the, uh, the sort of uh, abolition assembly is it's basically a, a sort of a, a latch-on, an attempt to latch on to a sort of fairly right-wing populism uh, by fairly right, fairly uh, far-right individuals using the uh, uh, the proportional structure that we have to actually gain, get into the the senate in the first place to give them a base. Uh, my concern is it is it is divisive. Uh, we saw how. Politically destabilizing the Brexit and the referendum was and the divisions that began to occur. Uh, and I think they are still stirring up and promoting that. And it's no surprise that those are promoting that are also promoting far right issues. Uh, in, I mean, one of them even wants uh, to bring back smoking into pubs, you know, but the attacks on refugees, the attacks on immigrants, you know, that the, the the subliminal racism which they deny they are, but which is inherent in their policies. And also the neoliberalism of their policies but also you know the bizarre thing about you know the the welsh conservatives who really haven't developed as a party as a welsh conservative party to give a welsh voice to that welsh conservatism which i don't think is healthy for welsh democracy you know really really very much are a, a sort of a appendage of number 10 downing street the fact they will say we will not spend on in wales on anything that is not specifically devolved to us that is not reserved etc. Well if that was the case then I mean half the spending we're doing on transport and public transport, the money we're spending on the internet, we probably wouldn't be able to have this meeting now because uh, we wouldn't have the internet because it's not a a devolved matter and so on. That is a very worrying trait that you have a Conservative Party that is actually trying to compete now with the, the far right element in the hope it will increase their base and I think that's bad for Welsh democracy that you don't have a strong Conservative Party with a clear Welsh agenda
1: that's a really interesting point. I think in terms of like the far right groupings in the Senev, whether they've moved from Brexit Party to wherever they're going, like they're Muppets, right? You've told me I can't swear, so they're Muppets, and Muppets are going to it. My bigger concern is people who, under COVID, who didn't even know who Mark Drakeford was, right, before COVID, and then suddenly they've got to follow two sets of rules. They've got Boris saying one set, and then this new Drakeford guy saying another set, and they've become newly educated about the functioning of the Senedd and, you know, the the powers that the Senedd have, if that goes badly, if we have constituents across Wales seeing... Mark Drakeford as having failed under COVID, then I can see how they could tap into it. I'm not saying he has, but if they see it as that, I could see how they could tap into a sentiment of well, what's this assembly, what's it done for me? We messed up on COVID, who's this Drakeford, blah, blah, blah. I can see that being a sentiment that I'd be more concerned about than uh, far right Muppets who are like diminishing in number.
2: I'm a little more concerned, I think, than our other panelists. Um, I'm not someone who. Thinks the abolish argument is growing, not at all. I think actually it's shrinking. But I think alongside the Conservatives, as you said, uh, giving a nudge and a wink to that, we're very much in danger of a future of what leighton Andrews called "dino" uh, devolution in name only, uh, and then the Conservatives or whoever, whoever they feel they can get some form of deal with, uh, then saying, "Oh well, actually, you know." it's only devolution, maybe it should have less powers. And then over the course of, and again, not instant, not abolish, but over the course of 10 or 20 years, they've gone from what is a tax-raising parliament proper to less powers to, oh, it's only really a, a talking shop. And then it's only really a, a place where politicians retire to, or it's only really some rubbish that we don't actually need. And it's at that point that the slow grind, just like Brexit, they've managed to overturn, in our case, two referenda, that they will spend the next 20, maybe 40 years trying to do. And that's why going, as Harriet said, on the attack, being on the front foot within Welsh Labour, supporting self-determination is so important. I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, it's one or the other, because I don't think that at all. I think it's the constant political and philosophical battle that will rage. And even if we get independence, for the first 10 or 20 years, there'll still be people saying, oh, yeah, we should just rejoin the British Empire. As there were after the Commonwealth was dissolved, oh, we should just be the British Empire again, as there still are people saying that. Till the statehood of Khamri is is finalized and proper and insoluble, then those long-term and short-term attacks are open and we are vulnerable to them.
3: Oh, I agree. Listen, that, you—I that, mean—you're you're spot on that insofar as it goes to the actual core of the constitutional change, and that is, uh, it's about sovereignty uh, and it's about the issue of shared sovereignty, and that is that the relationship between uh, the constitutional relationship has to be one uh, that is no longer uh, changeable in that sense. That is, it is no longer about a Westminster government devolving powers. That's why I think devolution is has, has sort of has gone now in terms of uh, uh, it's done. It's purpose, etc. And we've moved on. And maybe that's why we're beginning to have this debate and the, the arguments are beginning to become more more polarised. Yeah, Because uh, uh, it should not be possible for uh, Westminster to basically intrude. And the fact that we don't have any constitutional framework that enables for dispute resolution and so on. Uh, Any process of that adds to that as well. I mean, there is a transitional thing in terms of the Joint Ministerial Council that would provide a transitional forum, but it wouldn't provide a long-term solution. And the ideological position has got to be that sovereignty belongs to the people uh, and uh, not to parliaments and that, uh, you know, you have a structure that actually recognizes uh, that uh, you have a a four nation approach and the structure of the UK has got to be one that recognises that and it is a big challenge for Westminster because there's a lot of people out there who, who don't understand the concept of sovereignty, uh, they see it in terms of a, a sort of oligarchic power uh, and that has to change as well. On that note
0: I just want to say thank you all of you for, for coming on the show this evening. If people want to find you on Twitter uh, what is your handle starting with Mick? Uh, Mick Anthony1. Harriet?
1: sorry is haza underscore ps
0: <laughs> thank you very much
2: i'm ben mine's just my name ben gwalchmai uh, but i have a locked account so you're probably better looking at lab for numeric for indie wales
0: thank you very much everybody if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening please don't hesitate to find us on medium at here Ith blog Cymru, on facebook at here Ith blog Cymru, and on twitter at here Ith blog thank you for listening to here Ith. if you like what you heard Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and
3: review.